Hi there. You are listening to the first episode of Marketing Revisited. My name is Liam Maroney. I am your host. And on this podcast, we talk to the smartest marketers, function by function, to find out what's new, what's changed, and what needs to be left behind. And on today's episode, we talked with Nick Bennett. He's the Director of Field, Community, and Partner Marketing at Alice. He's also a strategic advisor to companies like Goldcast and Charla. And he's a prominent voice on LinkedIn when it comes to both field marketing and personal brand building. We talked about everything from myths in field marketing, how COVID has affected it, the rise of communities. It was a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Welcome to Marketing Revisited. Nick, it is so good to have you here. You are officially guest number one, and I could not think of anyone more appropriate to join. How are you doing? Uh, I am fantastic. Thank you so much. It's it's such an honor um, because I know you know you were on my podcast and like uh, you are someone I look up to. So thank you. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that, and I am so excited to get into this topic. So let's revisit field marketing. You are the director of field community and partner marketing at Alice, and we're going to get into how all of those connect to each other these days. But where I want to start is I want to get really pure on this. And I was sitting and thinking about this, and I was. I was struggling myself to think about how would I define field marketing? I feel like it might be one of the more misunderstood and misinterpreted disciplines of marketing. And where I'd love to start actually is, I was thinking about like what comes to mind when I think of these things. And there were two things that I think are these common myths. And I would love to get you to sort of break these myths and tell me why these are not correct. And the first is, is field marketing just activation at events? It's, it, it used to be that. And I think that was part of the whole issue. That's honestly everything that I've been fighting towards is like field marketers are more than just event marketers or more than just order takers to an enterprise sales team. It's, you know, events are part of that. And, and I don't want to disregard anyone that like events are a huge focus of what they do because events are a huge focus of what we do. But I understand that there's so much more to an integrated strategy that builds on that. And and to build on that as well, here's the other part of it that keeps coming back when I think about it is I hear and I've heard and I've probably said, well, field marketing is more sales than marketing, right? Yeah, I, I think it is because, I mean, it's funny, you know, I've been seeing a lot more SDRs and BDRs that are moving to field marketing roles which is such an interesting move. I actually love it because it's like, all right, great. You understand everything from like the sales perspective. You've walked in their shoes. Maybe you're not closing, but you've at least walked in their shoes. So now you can move to a marketing lens on how to best help sales. And I was I was in sales before I moved to marketing as well. And so I wonder, I've always wondered if that plays into why I'm so passionate about it or why I am so empathetic to sales and like how to build relationships and things like that. But I think it's, it's pretty important for a lot of field marketers to at least experience sales at some point. I, I totally agree. And demand generation is the same. I've always said that demand generation is one of those disciplines that speaks the language of the sales team more than it does the marketing team. And I think it's that empathy. But in your case, I think it it seems more common that people actually come from that side of the house and then find their way into field marketing. So it's almost like the sales team breaking into the marketing team. Yeah, it's, you know, I've actually seen like a lot of, you know, a perfect example, actually. So Arthur Castillo, who was an AE at Chili Piper, him and I were talking, he's like, you know what, I love marketing, I want to move to field marketing. And so we were talking and it kind of developed into like a mentorship a little bit. 
And um, he ended up being the first field marketer at Chili Piper. And now he's grown. He was elevated to leading field marketing and community. Um, he's building out a team now. And like his mindset and mine are so similar because we both came from a, a similar background. He just did it within the same company, which I think is even more impressive. That's fascinating. So let's set the stage then. We know these myths are not fully accurate. If you were defining field marketing today, how is it in your mind? I think you're a full stack marketer. I think that the pandemic has changed a lot, but I think that you need to have a full stack marketing mindset and you need to be revenue driven. I'm not saying that a lot of marketers aren't revenue driven, but there is kind of that mindset that sometimes like, all right, I just do events, my job's to get leads. That's all it is. I don't care about the actual revenue that it drives from that. Um, and there's still some of that, that kind of, you know, ideology around there, but you don't see it as much anymore. But I think it's important that you just have to have the mind shift that like, all right, you're the quarterback of the team, you understand all these aspects of like, okay, marketing, sales, finance, because finance is going to be a huge partner to a field marketer, um, you know, customer success. Like, I think it's probably the single most function within a marketing team outside of like a leadership function of like touching so many other cross depart departmental kind of areas because you're working across all these different things. Yeah, I, that makes complete sense. So like how much between sales and marketing, like what's the split of time spent with each one? Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's, I would say it's, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a fine line that you walk between sales and marketing. I would say, you know, 70% is probably on like the, the sales side and 30% on the marketing. It's, I feel like it's a lot of relationship building and I feel like that's what sales is. It's, it's a lot of relationship building, but the activities that you're doing are specifically moving the needle from a, a pipeline, from a database standpoint, from a engagement standpoint for your target or named accounts. And so whether you're working at a regional or a territory level, you don't see that as much anymore because of the pandemic. Everyone was always like, all right, East Coast Field Marketing, Central, West, EMEA, APAC, like whatever. I feel like now you've kind of taken like you've got people that handle community. You got people that handle like true field marketing, partnering with sales on like a one-to-one -one basis, whether you have like your enterprise sales team or mid-market or whatever it is, you have kind of like one field marketer to, I'd say anywhere from like five to 10 AEs. And then you have the, the BDR, SDR team involved as well. Yeah. And I love the way you say full stack marketer. And it's interesting because I think the biggest challenge the teams tend to face between sales and marketing is kind of what field marketing is extremely good at, which is translating and also understanding the campaigns and the accounts and then how they map together and how you get the most out of both. Yeah. And I think it's important. Like you have to be able to speak in sales's language, like relate to them. It's all about the, you know, give, give. And then when you build those relationships and you need to ask for something, they're more willing to, to work with you or give it to you or say, you know, when you're like, hey, we have to push this specific campaign or we have this webinar series coming up or this in-person event, like what can we do to get your target accounts there? They're like, well, hey, you know, you've done so much for me. I'm going to go take that extra step that I probably wouldn't have before to say thank you. That makes sense. And I, 
before we get into sort of how the pandemic has changed things and, and what it means, I want to go back to the start of it. If you were advising and you were talking to VP marketing, VP of sales, when is the time feel marketing begins to be a function within a marketing team? Yeah, it, it's a really good question to, to be honest with you, because I feel like, so when I joined Alice, they were a series A and I wasn't initially hired to, to do fail marketing. I was hired to do ABM, but we're now a series B and I feel like Field marketing still may be a little bit too early for where we are through our journey of like what we want to accomplish. I think that like, I would say it's not a full-time job for one person. Like there's other, and that's why I cover other aspects as well. But I would say once you hit like that late stage series B, maybe it's been a year and a half or so, or you hit that series C, I think then you start to build the the foundation of what field marketing looks like. And you don't even have to call it. I feel like field marketing was called field marketing because everyone was in the field before. Now that the pandemic has happened, I feel like you could call it revenue marketing or regional revenue marketing or anything like that because you're still at the end of the day tied to specific revenue KPIs or metrics. But I think Series C is when you really start to see it bloom and like, maybe you don't have a team of eight or nine marketers that are doing this, but maybe you have like two or three. Um, And I think that's how you can at least start to figure out where you want to align people to whether it's specific sales teams, verticals, or however you want to to do it. But that's, that's what I would give from a recommendation standpoint. And if you were setting expectations on that, what, what happens within the first six months of that coming in? If you bring in a field marketing leader, are you transforming things? Do things get optimized? Do you just hand over responsibilities? Like, what does it look like? I think I think it's a lot of just understanding the the processes and like everything and optimizing what's already in place. Maybe it's something where it's been so heavily skewed towards digital or you know email or events or whatever it is. Like, I think it's optimizing what's already out there and figuring a way that you can then take that and and scale it, whether it's to the different verticals or segments or however it is. But I think it's, you've got to figure out what is important or what is the outcome that you're looking to achieve by putting in a field marketing team. Are you looking to drive more leads? Are you looking to drive engagement within target accounts? Do you want to just have them focus on events as like a majority of what they do? Um, hopefully the leadership team understands or values marketing and values specifically field marketing. And I feel like some of the, the organizations that I've worked really best in were when CEOs and CROs and CMOs even really valued what a field marketer brings to the table versus just seeing them as someone that logistically handles events. That's, I, and that brings me to an interesting point then, which is value is always translated into metrics to some level. If you were putting together that framework and you were saying, this is how you should judge the success of field marketing, what are those metrics or what are those at least general KPIs or what is the value that you want to communicate? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, so I would say the, the biggest piece is field marketers have always, or traditionally, or maybe even not traditionally, but have been focused on middle of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. And then you have more of demand gen, at least in my eyes, that were focused on optimizing top of the funnel. Maybe it's a growth marketer, maybe it's a demand gen person, but like, 
their handle optimizing and converting for top of funnel. For me, when I take it from, you know, qualified pipeline to close one, that's the, the primary of my focus. And so if I can increase the qualified pipeline to close one conversion rate, say, say you're at, I don't know, say you're at 30% right now. And if I could bump that up to say 42% over the course of a year, it, it just dramatically allows you to one forecast better, but also back into your number a little bit easier because you know that you're closing that gap where before you might not have been able to do that. I think another piece is sometimes failed marketers have been tasked with like the entire funnel, like they're driving like top of pipe, but then they're also focused on accelerating it. And I feel like that can get a, I don't want to say a little bit messy, but it's definitely harder because it's like, all right, what are you, what are you looking to do? Is it, you know, are you looking to generate awareness within your net new accounts? All right, great. So you're looking for growth in the number of accounts showing engagement. You're looking for growth in your marketing qualified accounts, not your leads, which makes sense. And then you can kind of go down and say, all right, if I want to really figure a way to accelerate, you're more focused on what I said, but also you can look at win rates, opportunity stage conversion rate, sales cycle length, and then revenue. Um, I think they play together, but I think if I had to do it or like suggest to someone what to do, I would focus field marketing on like middle and bottom of the funnel. And like, that's, that's their swim lane. And to call it what it is, that's a tough thing to measure. Yeah. And I, and I, as soon as I hear, okay, 30 to 42% conversion rate, two things immediately come to mind. One is how long does it take for that to happen? And how do you set the expectations of how long that should take to happen? And then the other part is, okay, you go from 30 to 42, where you now expect it to go from 42 to 55 next quarter. Like walk me through what that feels like, especially coming in as a new leader and you're building something out. Yeah, so so I think it's important to know that marketing alone won't drive this entire thing. And I think it's it goes back to the whole sales marketing alignment or revenue team alignment because one person cannot change these percentage points for you're qualified to close one. Or even another thing that that I've looked at is non-qualified to qualified. So for us, it's like you know, when a qual call happens to when a demo stage happens, we consider that non-qualified to, to qualified pipeline. So if you can, again, bump that up by a few percentage points, it, it helps just make everything a lot easier. But I think it's important not to, not to say that one marketing alone is going to fix this, but also, hey, like this is what success looks like in 2022 in how we're aligned with sales agreeing to this, RevOps or sales ops agreeing to this. I think everyone has to collectively come to the table and determine what does that percentage bump look like? And are we agreeing that this is the 2022 goal versus the first half or second half goal? Yeah, I, that makes the world of sense. I actually, what it makes me think of is like, there's this existential problem with demand gen as well, which is that, there's so much emphasis on the immediate results, like get the things that are going to close as quickly as possible that you ignore all of that foundation building stuff. Now in, in demand gen, a lot of this gets masked because you throw enough volume at it, you can disguise that problem. Field marketing feels like it's more playing without 
a safety net here where you don't have enough of a grouping of accounts where you can afford to not be playing with. So how do you, how do you sell in this early relationship building? Like, okay, these accounts are going to go from here to here from an engagement point of view. How do you get particularly sales and leadership to feel the impact of that? I think, you know, it's, it's a great question because I feel like you need to, you need to really get them on board with what are the like key expected outcomes that that you're looking to achieve. And if you can say like, hey, look, I'm going to move like these KPIs from here to here through, you know, integrated programs. And I think that's important to know. It's like, you know, it's not just the, the events BMP uh, a part of it. It's like, all right, what's the digital component? What's the content component look like? What does the, you know, the the messaging component look like, and it's it's bringing all of that together, but it's it's painting a picture of what it can look like, but also realizing that I could say you know everything's going to be beautiful in six months, but just because I say that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. So you know I'm very much into the the data and the reporting of like, hey, here's the actual outcomes of the programs that have been running for middle and bottom of the funnel. Here's the impact that it's making. Here's the 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 influence pipeline that it's making. Here's the engagement across different stages um, within the, the funnel that we're moving people to. And if you start to kind of show that movement through different types of activities, then they're going to listen to you. They're going to be like, wow, like that, that does make sense. All right, great. Let's invest more here. And like, Field marketing, like I've been doing it for nine years. And so I've, you know, field marketers have crazy budgets, like depending on the size of the company, but like I've had anywhere from a like $20,000 per quarter budget up to like $150,000 per quarter budget to do experimental stuff, to try different things. And like, just think about that's probably the closest piece to sales that you will get. And if you can deliver there, I would say it's probably one of the the most important functions within the entire marketing organization if you if you do it right. I love that. That's fascinating. Speaking of the reporting, sounds like you're you're reporting from both sides of the house. You've got RevOps stuff in there. You've got marketing dashboards in there. How do those partnerships work? Like who who's assembling that together? Like who do you partner with? Yeah, so so definitely RevOps, and so right now we have a team of two people, um, which isn't isn't a huge team, but Kaneko, who leads our our RevOps kind of organization, she is like a reporting wizard. Like I like she does things that like I feel like I know a decent amount about creating Salesforce reports and like different types of you know reporting from Marketo and other things, but like she just kind of takes it to a new level, and so we work really closely to say like, hey, these are like the pieces that I'm looking for. And she creates this into whether it's a dashboard, whether it's into a specific report that will then allow me, her and sales leadership to get into a call and talk about these. And I think that's an important piece that maybe I I missed a little bit is like, you know, I'm regularly on a weekly basis talking to our sales leadership team. I'm also meeting with them on a quarterly basis to go over like a recap of the previous quarter, like, hey, here's where we landed. Here's what we could do better. Here's where I need your help to drive your sales organization to partner with me better. And it's it's not always, you know, perfect results. Everything could be tweaked or done a little bit better, but I think it's about optimizing at that point 
and then going back and testing it again and then trying it over and over. And you're constantly evolving what that process looks like over time and then just doubling down on what works. And that sales leadership relationship feels like a critical one. And I know when you're talking about sales outcome metrics, like accelerated deal cycles and conversion rates, you need 100% of their trust in that scenario because you're talking about what effectively their team spends their time owning and now you're sharing in the credit in that. When you come in, how much education do you need to do versus like what do you look for to make sure that that relationship works? Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely dep- it depends on the organization, but I I would say for the first sixty days a pr- a good amount of what I have always done is building those relationships, just understanding what's important to them, what's important to their sales team, what works in enterprise probably or may not work in mid market, and it's understanding what you know what reps have done well like what reps are struggling where is the pain point or how do they kind of answer these pain point questions and then figure out where i can help them or do better or make sure that we i work with our content person to develop specific content or maybe we need better messaging because it's not properly on our website or something like that and that was something that i i always focused on for the first 60 days like just that mattered more to me than than anything else. And I feel like it's always paid off because it's like, if you ask our sales leadership team now, we have three sales leaders, um, you know, I am their go-to for, for hopping on calls with prospects. I am their go-to for helping with specific questions around how to use the product or what can we do better together? They don't try to silo things. They try to say, how can we do this together? to make sure that we achieve the result that we're looking to to get out of it. In those 60 days, what's the most efficient way to gather all that information? Are you doing call recordings? Are you in participating? Like, how do you get all of that as quickly as you can? So, so definitely call recordings. I actually, you know, I've been here for over a year now, but like I still spend an hour a day or I block an hour a day to listen to gong calls. That's in addition to, you know, joining, I joined probably five to seven prospect calls per, per week and then customer calls on top of that. So what, you know, for the first 60 days, listening to calls, joining calls, just be like a, a fly on the wall of like, I just want to understand, especially if you're a marketer that's selling to other marketers, it's just going to make your life so much easier when you can figure out their specific pain points and how you can relate to them because you're probably going through the similar pain points as well. And then just also always staying in touch with the the leadership on the sales side, like weekly calls, uh, if not weekly, bi-weekly calls, and just always, you know, keeping them updated on on what things are happening or where you can help. For the first 60 days, I think it's important to add value as quick as possible and as much as possible. That's terrific advice. I love that. So let's talk about the elephant then. Given Given the importance of events in field marketing, the last two years have been just barren when it comes to events. What, I guess, first, how did the entire function pivot to accommodate that? And then the bigger question is how much of that is now was a band-aid that we're now removing and things are returning back versus what fundamentally changed? You know, it's 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 so interesting because I remember writing on LinkedIn about this. It was May of 2020. Um, and like 
things were starting to pick up in the U.S. with with the pandemic. And I just remember writing all these field marketers were getting laid off because they were like, oh, like, you know, events aren't happening. And I said to all you marketing leadership, VPs of marketing, CMOs, you're making the wrong decision laying these people off versus utilizing them in developing their tool set to better them for their career. Maybe it's digital, maybe it's content. I said, field marketing and events specifically are going to come back at some point. And like, I just remember like in like a couple months, like at least 40, 50 people that I was connected to like lost their jobs. Oh my God. Um, and they were just like, you know, I'm looking for something. People would reach out to me like, Hey, you know, we're not doing events. Like, do you know anything? And it just, it just, it infuriated me because like there was so much, and I understand, you know, it just, they were probably being held by the you know, C-suite of like, hey, you got to do something, events aren't happening. But like, you could have definitely pivoted them into a broader tool set versus just, you know, pigeonholing them into like, all they do is events. And I feel like virtual, which was always, it, it was, I feel like virtual webinars were always a thing. However, everyone just doubled down on that roundtables, you know, webinars, just piling them on. Like I remember at the time I was at Clary and I was doing four roundtables per month, one per week, like different topics. And like, I was like, wow, this is a lot. But like so many people were signing up for them. I was like, oh, this is, this is great. But then I feel like it was, it was probably like September of 2020 or so. And like people had hit a wall. Like they were so fatigued from joining all these virtual events that like they just didn't anymore. Like attendance dropped off or they registered and were like, I wanted the on-demand version. Um, But I always knew that it would come back. And I feel like we had that a little bit last fall in 2021 when like, you know, between Delta and Omicron, like I feel like people were like, yes, you know, we're getting back to events. And then Omicron hit and it's like, all right, boom, everything's back, back done. And now, you know, B2B MX was last week. Um, I feel like more events in 2022 are starting to come back in person. You've got face-to-face dinners. You've got, you know, roundtables. Everyone's excited to get back out there. But I think there's always going to be a hybrid approach now. It's not Virtual is not going to go away. Um, however, I think people are going to leverage more of a hybrid approach going forward where they can for their larger events. But they will supplement in-person with virtual. And I don't think that will ever go away. I think people realize that you can distribute, distribute your content so much more effectively from a virtual standpoint and utilizing that in so many different ways that it's just opened up a lot of other doors that way. Have events changed? Like I I think about, you know, Chris Walker is very vocal about this. Like don't invest in events, invest in education. Sam Jacobs, I mean, we're both part of Pavilion. I've talked to him and his opinion was that people who used to go to events to learn about technology vendors and what was going on are now doing it in the safety of communities of people they trust more. Has events, I mean, firstly, does events have relevance now? And is it more about community and engagement than it is about the floor and learning and picking up collateral. Like what's your take on that? Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Like, I think that it, it's all about community and just building those relationships. Like 
I don't want to go to an event to be pitched a product or like sit through a sales presentation. Like I want to go and just network with people. Like I want to have it be where it's about me as a person versus just another vendor that's trying to sell me something at the end of the day. And I think that's why community has become so important and also why like dark social has become so important. It's because, you know, everyone's realizing that they don't have to go walk a trade show floor to find out about, you know, 10 vendors because their their VP of marketing told them like, hey, I can't make this event. You go figure out about these vendors. Like you could just go hop in these communities. You could ask other people you're connected to, post on LinkedIn. Hey, I'm looking for an ABM platform. Does anyone have any recommendations? I guarantee you, you will get a lot of recommendations. You'll get a lot of DMs of people that say, I use this. This is why, this is my experience. This is what I like, don't like. Like that is worth way more than me going to listen to an AE that is presenting at some dinner as like a thing where you have to listen to the pitch before you get the dinner. So before we go to the digital online communities, I want to I stick on events for a second. So if you're talking to other field marketing leaders and they're talking about, okay, we're events have come back. We're finally starting to do real exhibits. We're actually starting to sponsor real events again. Should the approach change now? Like, is it, are you seeing things like it's still badge scans? We're still trying to like throw business cards in the, in the bowl on the table. Like, is the approach different now? I, I think it's starting to change a little bit. However, like I think it is depending on the industry, I think it is still about like the badge scanning, but like, I think people are realizing that you can have more of an integrated strategy. Like you don't have to spend that $250,000 on a booth. Whereas like you could do 10 other activations at that specific trade show that will probably be less than 250 grand and probably drive more results because you're building actual relationships with the, the accounts that matter that are already there. And I think that's more of the focus now, or at least what I, what I think like B2B MX last week, we were, we were supposed to sponsor it. We backed out last minute just because of, of a few different reasons, but I, I talked to a few people that were there and they were just like, it was, it was definitely a smaller intimate event that seemed to be really community driven or relationship driven versus, Hey, come swing by my booth. I want to scan your, your, your name tag or get your business card or whatever. And I think that at least in the MarTech world, I think that's what we're going to see more versus like, Hey, like we just got to get, you know, 200 leads uh, from this event. And the last question on that then, do you find that most of the success of these events now comes in the work you do before you arrive there and the plans that are made, what happens at it or what happens post it? Yeah, absolutely. I think like pre, pre, during post, pre and post are, are often underlooked by a lot of people. And it's like, what are you doing to set yourself up for success before the event? Like, are you, you know, scheduling meetings with your accounts that you know are already there so that you're not going and just wandrously hoping they come by your booth and, and kind of will talk to you? It's like, what kind of digital outreach were you doing? What do you have or what are you focusing on from a content or, you know, video uh, strategy component? And then post-event, like, what are you going to do to deliver value? Everyone, you know, you go to an event, you get an email, usually a day or so after. And it's like, thanks for swinging by. Here's a link that you'll probably never click. Like, what can you do to add more to that? Like, what can you do to make that 
that that outreach more personalized because I think that that's what we all want now. Like we've all been bombarded with emails and like unwanted, you know, pitches that we just would never be interested in. But what can we do to dig deeper, like post event to understand someone beyond just their persona? Like, okay, you're a field marketer, but like, what are you passionate about outside of work? And then how can we connect and build a relationship around that? And then see maybe down the road, if our product's a good fit for you. That's interesting. All right. So I want to switch to the online communities because this is, I mean, this is your brand in a nutshell. I mean, you are, you are the definitive voice on LinkedIn for not just field marketing, but personal brand building as well. And from your point of view, from a field marketing point of view, like within your scope, obviously it makes the world of sense in MarTech because you are a marketer talking to marketers. You are a pipeline generation channel yourself for Alice. And that's, that's a given, but community is different. I mean, community is, is about participation, contribution. And so it's a much longer tail thing. Does that, firstly, I guess, is that a natural evolution of field marketing? Or in this case, is this something that is exclusive that you had to sell and that came along with you? Like, what's your advice to field marketing in that world? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like a lot with the whole pandemic. I feel like everyone turned to digital communities, and more and more popped up. And now you're just seeing more and more niche ones pop up as well. But like, everyone wants to to level up themselves, figure out ways that best practices that are working for XYZ company, and that maybe they could implement in their own way or take a version of that. Like. It's, it's a way for people to just better understand that there's more than one way to do it. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I was in a community, we were in a Slack channel the other day, and someone was like, hey, my CMO tasked me with just figuring out a way to drive more top of funnel. And so I said, okay, like this, this was a failed marketer. I said, all right, what's, you know, what are you looking to do once they're in from a top of funnel standpoint? They said, Oh, I don't know. Like we don't have really any acceleration pieces in place. Like he just told me we, we need top of funnel. That's it. And I said, well, that's the issue. You're going to create all of this, you know, pipeline at the top, but if you're not accelerating it, what's the point? You're just wasting bandwidth and cycles. And so I gave a framework of kind of the way that I look at it from a middle and bottom and how the full funnel approach kind of plays together. And they're like, wow, honestly, like I never even thought of looking at it from this way. And they went back to their CMO and the CMO was like, yeah, like this is great. I absolutely agree. But like they wouldn't have known if they didn't have access to these digital communities and other people that were like-minded to them to bounce ideas off of. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to, we don't want to seem dumb or like internally go ask questions that, you know, Oh, wow. You don't know the answer to this. Like, why did we Mm -hmm. hire you? Have people question you? Like these communities are great for that. Like no one's going to judge you. Like ask away, like people are way more receptive to giving you time than you probably think. And it just allows you to evolve your strategy. Think about ways that you maybe weren't doing something or ways that you could do something better. And I think that's been a huge way to elevate specifically failed marketers um, within these last two years. That's, I love that. I, I love that. So last question, and it's an abstract one. <laughs> If you were talking to field marketing leaders out there right now, and you just have one piece of advice you want to leave them with, whether it is 
we need to leave this part of it behind. Here's how we need to go forward. Place your focus on this, invest in that. What do you want to make sure that field marketing leaders are taking away going forward? I think I would say, you know, understand in how to deepen your relationships with your sales team and just be looked at as an actual added value to the team or an advisor to the team, because you don't want to be seen as a corporate marketer that's jamming stuff down salespeople's throats all the time. They're just, it's going to sour the relationship. Oh, all Nick does is ask me to do all these things and doesn't really bring anything to the table. However, you probably do bring stuff to the table. They just may not see that because it's maybe, you know, 30,000 foot view. But I think it's when you develop those relationships and when you walk a fine line between sales and marketing, I think it just delivers your value so much more. And it's also why, you know, I've always dabbled in this idea that field marketers specifically, and you could open it up to revenue marketers, that they should be compensated the way that salespeople are you know, accelerators, kickers, you're getting a commission piece. Maybe your base is a little bit lower, but instead of a bonus, you're getting commission on the opportunities that you either source or influence. And you can look at it a bunch of different ways, but then everyone's on the same team. You're all striving towards that same goal, which only strengthens the relationship that much more. That's a wonderful place to leave us. I am so thankful. This was such a good conversation. I have learned a ton about field marketing. I didn't know I didn't know about field marketing. Where can people interact with you, talk to you, connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is probably the best place. Um, you can find me in a bunch of different communities as well, but shoot me a DM on LinkedIn. I, I you know, I reply to every single person unless you're going to pitch me, um, then I will not reply to you. But um, yeah, that's that's definitely the best spot. Amazing. Nick, thank you so much. This was terrific. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me. It was fantastic.